Hello and welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder. I am Megan Silas. I'm Pam Marvin. And we are so happy that you came back to listen to us again. We are always blessed to know that anybody is uh, is tuning in and, and taking a listen. And if you listened to our last podcast, you know we talked about... Um, moral conviction and having the courage to speak truth uh, with our closest uh, people in our lives, our family and our, and our close friends. Today, we're going to take that topic into uh, a more broad scale and talking about speaking the truth in love with conviction in a more public setting, um, which in this day and age, especially as we march towards a big election, yes, uh, this is a, a more of a challenge than ever. Yes, oh, my is. goodness. I... I just can't even believe, even in my lifetime um, of being aware of public discourse, the degree to which it has devolved. I Mm -hmm. mean, dramatically. I don't think anybody can argue that the level of speech, charity of speech, the way that we interact has really taken a turn for the worse. And it makes it more and more difficult to feel you know, free to speak what you, you know, deeply hold to be true when you know the responses that you could have out there. Right. I think um, especially if you take the whole phrase, they all know you're a Christian by your love. I think we're challenged even more today to be able to keep our calm, to keep our, like have that mature kind of settledness in Christ. That's the only font in which we can come to, you know, like the, he is that font of love to come and give us the courage to speak moral truths. And I'm reminded of a, a episode of Roundup I did with Jim Olson, who is the former head of counter espionage in, um, with the CIA. And he said that one of the places in which we draw that kind of larger courage is either from conviction or love. I think that frames it perfectly when we talk about having more courage in the in the public square. So I want to reel it back to the first time I challenged myself to be more courageous in the public square, which didn't have to do with like politics. It had to be with Jesus. So in my infancy and in my reversion that I had, I didn't want to make people uncomfortable. Remember, that was one of my big things. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable because that was rude in my mind to make people uncomfortable. Now I know it's planting a seed. And I told myself for like a whole year, um, my morning prayer would say, Lord, let me be bold for you today. Cause I wasn't bold for Jesus. I wasn't bold to let people know who I was in Christ. So one of my goals was always like, after I've been in a room, will someone know that I am a believer, that I'm all in for Jesus, right? I want people to know that about me after just spending 10, 20 minutes with me. So I went around that whole year, and if the Lord opened a door to talk about him, I was called to be bold and walk through it, whether it made them uncomfortable or me uncomfortable. And that was like so good for me. And of course, what happens? It's no longer uncomfortable and you're glad to be bold for Christ. But I want to, Megan, I want to take that over to how we can speak our Christian faith, our Christian values in a public square when now we're so persecuted, um, even especially in this culture, let's say in the culture of the United States, there's a lot of Christian shaming as if immediately we are taken as judgmental and um, I don't know, just 
off the track. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's no secret that um, a lot of what we believe as uh, Catholic Christians is not popular in um, modern society. Uh, that's just true, right? And in its lack of popularity, there's often attached to that um, derision and um, a sense that you can't say that you love if you believe these things. So your very point that they will know we are Christians by our love, what's happened in culture now, it says you can't hold these views that a Christian traditionally holds and say you love. Like I, they reject that idea. They do. They do. Reject that that is what that you can claim love and hold these beliefs. That that these beliefs are intolerant. They're hateful. They're biased. They're they're um, you know whatever the negatives you want to call them. And so, I think one of the biggest problems that has happened is that Christians have started to believe that. They have started to believe that their their traditional faith, the thing that has been held honestly by the vast majority of, you know, Western culture for 2000 years and even farther back, Judeo culture for back to the beginning of time, that to hold these views is in in um What's the word I want to use? Incompatible. That's the word I'm looking for. Incompatible with love. So if you believe that, where do you go? Right. So in the end, what you held to be true as a Christian, you've believed that those who don't aren't Christians, you've let them define your faith. That's what's happened in the public square. We have allowed non-Christians to define what love is to the faith of the lovers. Mm, yep, exactly. I like what you were saying. You've co- coined a phrase that I really want you to say on the air. Which oh, is so yeah. Good. I, yeah. I was saying that um, we no longer are dis- have disrespect for people who speak disrespectfully. Like this idea that there are some things that are just wrong, right? There are some ways of behaving that shouldn't be tolerated. And yet we we tolerate them in the name of tolerance. Like when tolerance becomes the be all and end all of human existence, but it only looks a certain way, it only means affirming everybody in right. whatever they want to do. There's a moral compromise there if we do that. That tolerance, you know, usually we don't tolerate something that's good and beautiful. Right. You know, and so what I would say about Christians speaking boldly and with conviction in the public square, we should not sit back here and be whining that we don't do it because everybody's so mean to us. Right. I think what we need to realize is, is the reason that everybody has gotten to the point where they're mean to us about it is because we have not been bold in speaking. Right. 
Well, I'm going to take it further than that, too. That absolutely is true. But the other side of that is that when we speak the truth and love of Jesus Christ and his rules and his laws, it makes them wrong. It reveals their sin and they don't want to to face their sin. Well, I think it goes deeper than that. They don't want to acknowledge that there's sin at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, yes. and that comes down to the question of moral relativism. Um, and I think that's something that's important that we discuss um, as we're you know, going deeper into this idea of moral courage. Well, you can only have moral courage if morality is a thing. Like if it's a real thing, right? Because otherwise it's just your opinion, you know, and and you may or may not want to um, be an advocate for yourself and your own opinion. I mean, people are different in that. Um, but the bar is a lot lower as far as your obligation to make a case for your opinion than it is for something that you hold to be true with a capital T, but if a society tells you there is no such thing as truth with a capital T and everything's uh, relative and everything is based on whatever you want it to be, you are cast as simply being obstinate in your opinions and not a sharer of truth. So I think that's a reality that we need to acknowledge that exists that way of thinking that says, no, what you're sharing, what you're saying right now, what you're proclaiming so boldly, no, that's not truth. That's just your opinion. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at right now. There is no truth with a capital T for a large portion of the secular world to the point where, um, you know, you can't even say a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Right. Oh, well, that's a matter of opinion. Right. That is exactly where we are. And that just defines so much what we're going through today. Exactly. Is not um, understanding the truths we hold self-evident. <laughs> well, that's, that's a beautiful point. Because, yeah. you know, then, you know, obviously uh, politics is a big area where it's difficult to speak um, boldly. And, you know, you have different um, opinions here uh, about whether or not, you know, Christians should even be political, shall we say. Right. Um, you know, some people say, you know, just keep your faith in, in the church and don't get involved in politics and you should never, you know, make claims. And then some people are like, I have to be involved in politics. It's, you know, my obligation as a Christian. And well, actually, John Paul II said, in fact, that it is your obligation as a Christian to at least vote. So be in the public square. Yeah. yeah. Responsible citizenship. Right. Um, but. I think it is very difficult to speak truth if you don't believe that there's actual truth, right? So I think, and again, as it as it as we spoke in the last podcast about how it has to begin with you. If you're finding that you never have moral courage, if you never have the conviction to speak what our faith teaches is true, one has to really start asking themselves and be honest with themselves. Do I believe it's true? Right. Do I myself really truly believe that these things that my faith teaches are true, not because it's an opinion, but because God has ordained them to be so. 
Because if you don't have that conviction in your own self, you probably don't have any business proclaiming it to anybody else. Right. Well, maybe I want to take it down to like a real practical level about, you know, how do, how do we live better as Christians? And um, I'll just give an example from my life. Um, this was in like the, you know, with the, the working atmosphere that I work in. And it's very common today that many people who are in the secular world believe that pornography is just another type of inter- entertainment, right? And there was one day, and with the grace of God, I was able to say, you know, that's really wrong and it's bad for your soul. (laughs) It wasn't received exactly well, made the person very uncomfortable, but that is exactly one of those truths that I thought I needed to say that I can't step by, stand behind and uh, cower when someone's speaking like that um, about it in a positive light and not say anything. And that particular one wasn't very difficult for me to, to say because, number one, I love the person and I know she loves me, but also because I've seen how um, devastating it's been to um, the Christian community. It's such a horrible scourge. So that was one example of me just speaking the truth, you know, and when those opportunities come up, first of all, thank God, and then let the truth be known too. So another opportunity was um, surrogate motherhood was being talked about in, in very openly as, as something good and positive, um, especially with same-sex couples and things. And of course, I had to chime in and say, well, I just don't, we don't believe in that as, as Christians. We don't believe that that is healthy or a way to go that a mom needs, a, a child needs a mom and a dad. And uh, they were kind of shocked. They'd ne- they, they didn't get angry. They were kind of surprised hearing a different perspective. Right. And I I think for what you're saying is in both of those examples, it's like I was saying before, it started with you truly holding those beliefs to be true. Right. And not just as a matter of opinion and as a matter of faith, but also having really understood and seen how the truth of those things is lived out in in life. You see the impact of, of what things like pornography and... Um, the, you know, whole culture around um, in vitro fertilization and surrogacy and and then which goes right to abortion too. They're all tied together that the dignity of the human person. Um, So, but it's that conviction and know uh, of this is true that you have that allows you to have the the courage and, and the desire to speak so that's what I'm saying with if you find that you're never, ever having the feeling that you have the courage or the conviction to speak something like that. Well, before getting at maybe it's because I'm afraid of the person's response before jumping to that, mm-hmm. start with, am I truly convicted in my own heart about these things? And it goes to really open yourself up for the grace for God to put those things on your heart as true convictions, true understanding that they are um, his understanding of the world are his truths. Um, So, but when it does come down to the question of, am I going to speak something in a more public sphere that's not going to be popular that might, you know, make somebody lose my job or something like that. Yeah. I think, it comes more it it's also at play in the in the personal experience as well but i think in this area 
the idea of suffering comes into play because often we don't speak the things are on our hearts to speak or what we believe to be true because we're afraid of the consequences of that that may cause suffering in our lives. Like you said, it could be loss of a job. It could be ostracization from a social group. It could be, um, you know, simply somebody yelling you at you or telling you off or whatever. And so if we're afraid of avoiding, if we're always afraid of suffering, if we're afraid of um, receiving negative um, feedback or negative consequences of the things that we say or do... um, that's something we need to look that at. That fear, that yeah. fear. Yeah, I am reminded as you were talking about this, about the, what uh, in some ways we can call the white martyrs, you know, the the cake baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, lost a lot, you know, and there's been, um, let's say, some pharmacists who are without jobs because they won't uh, prescribe the RU-47, I believe is what it is, mm-hmm. um, because of their moral stance on it and they can't be employed that's a white martyrdom, but all I can see in that is how God will bless them. I came across a young lady who had a um, young Christian woman, about 24 years old, spoke up and had a, did a, like a, just a viral video on her views about some of the cultural things that are going on right now and was shamed so badly that people called up and had her fired from her job. And I love the way she ended her little um, update on it saying, you just made my louse, my voice even louder because of the difficulties that she had taken on for that. I don't really make it. I don't understand why people are losing their jobs over free speech right now. I'm, I'm really a miffed at that one. Um, it hurts my heart to think in these United States of America that people, um, their First Amendment rights are being very much threatened. And I think that's why we're doing this show today, too, about having moral courage in the public square, because we can't be silent. We have to speak up in love and truth and God's truth for what we believe in um, and not be so silent. And I think that we've had a habit of just being quiet because we're trying to think we're polite. I know that was me for sure. Absolutely. Um, And again, I think the fear of what's going to happen if I do speak up is, is still a, a big thing, but say if look at it from the perspective of somebody who doesn't hold these views that that we traditionally hold as Christians, and and we're not even speaking a lot specifically about them. So you can fill in whatever you want here, right? You know, I don't I don't want to get this to be a debate about this, that, or the other issue. You know, we'll throw some things out there. We've said you talked about pornography and, um, you know, surrogacy and abortion and things like that. But whatever, fill in your blank. It's about things that are traditionally Christian, very much not popular right now. So say you're a person who is not traditionally Christian, doesn't believe these things that we believe, and all they see from Christians is a is silence, or if they do speak up, quick backpedaling to protect their job, their, you know, good name, quote unquote good name. Right. All this if that's the witness they see from Christians, what can your you know, conclusion B about how the Christian feels about those things. They either feel like, well, clearly it's not that important to them if they're silent 
or well, they don't hold this to be, the, um, you know, so significant that they're willing to suffer anything over it. So why should I respect it? Mm-hmm. Like, you want, there's no cause to wonder why society has gotten where it is regarding these things. We, as Christians, allowed it to get where it is. By not will it be willing to speak, not being willing to suffer any negative consequences for holding beliefs that we believe to be true, and not honestly living them out exactly. faithfully exactly. in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Christians, particularly Catholics, more than anybody, love to say, well, you know, preach the gospel, you know, and only use words if necessary, right? Like, like speaking the truth is low on the totem pole, mm-hmm. you know, like... We don't need to speak. We just need to live it. Well, guess what? We ain't living it very well either. When you have divorce rates among Christians that are like indistinguishable from the secular world, when you have cohabitation and contraception and and all these sort of things, when you have... I'm sorry. I'm going to get political right now. Here I go. Oh, no. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Warning, warning. When you've got a presidential candidate who professes the Catholic faith and yet supports late-term abortions and basically no limits on abortions, and that's acceptable to a lot of Catholics, we are not living our faith in a way that's compelling in the public sphere. So we... I really feel convicted to say we need to stop blaming the culture for oppressing us, for persecuting us for our beliefs, when the very reason that they're capable of doing that is because we have allowed it. We have let them, yes. So true. And we have not lived the courage of our convictions in our own lives. Because honestly, you know, we've talked, we're now what, like over an hour into talking about speaking truth moral truth with conviction. You are a hypocrite if you try to do this when you're not living it. So let us not be hypocrites by trying to put the cart before the horse and speaking these truths when we're over here doing all the stuff that we're claiming to speak out against. Yeah, no duplicity. I, I, that was. A, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I. You see it time and time again in Scripture. There was no duplicity in him, and so I, I really prayed on that for a while. And and what I came to know was just exactly what you're talking about. Am I the same person in private that I am in public? And we kind of started out the episode on that. Is there duplicity in me? Am I authentically who God has created me to be, both in public and private? Generally not. Um, but that's a very good litmus test to see how you're doing in your spiritual journey. Because I know for me, there's still not a complete alignment. Um, it's way easier for me to to be so charitable um, out amongst friends who are charitable. <laughs> yeah. And, but then when you get into an atmosphere where people could be hostile, they don't share your faith and those kinds of things, it's a little more difficult to be that kind of charitable. Uh, but that is the kind of the goal to live it so interiorly. And, and, and I want to add this into it. So today that we're recording this is Thursday, the luminous mysteries and the proclamation of the kingdom. But I want to say not only do we rec- proclaim um, Jesus kingdom 
with our body, but in our words too. Are we proclaiming him in our countenance and who we are as a people? Are we out there right now in this public square being a people of hope, a people of goodness, a people of light? Are we doing that? Or are we getting grumpy and discouraged and and talking negatively and, and that kind of thing, which there's plenty of that to go around. We could do that. But what's going to separate us, what's going to set us apart right now is our hope, our hope in the goodness of Christ, our hope in what he is doing now in our world. Yes, it's messy. I always say, you know, when you clean out your closet, it's a train wreck to begin with, but then order is restored and put back and it's better than it was before. And and my brothers and sisters, I do really feel in my heart that we're going through this process. It could be rapid. It could be slow. I don't know. I don't know. But I believe that God is really up to something because we're getting down to nothing. And he is up to something, I think, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So go out there, make sure you're asking for that grace every day to be authentically Christian, to live your faith in such a way that people know it by your countenance and you're proclaiming him with your words and with your actions and with your face. Yeah. And and we can't um, claim to be out there speaking the truth in love when, you know, behind closed doors, we're saying a lot of things that are not very loving. And I'm going to be, I'm going to give the mea culpa right now. I know that in my own life, I'm guilty of in frustration when I'm with like-minded people spouting off and saying, you know, I can't believe these people, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and maybe saying some things that aren't charitable and, and with a heart that's, you know, not pure, you know, as far as being loving and everything. And, and that's something I need to bring to God and I need to not allow the frustrations of the things that we see impact my heart. And because if I'm, if I'm uncharitable in my speech in private, it's going to be that much harder for me to live out charity and truth in the public, right? You know, Jesus says that it's not that comes from outside of a man that defiles him. It comes from what's within. So don't think that, um, you know, just seeing what's going on out there is the cause of me being uncharitable. No, if the uncharity is in my heart towards others, it's going to come out from there, right? So I, we have to not blame the culture and how things have gone bad as a way of justifying a lack of charity, even in private. So I, we really need to try to remember that this needs to be, like you said, a a totally consistent, non-duplicitous thing where if we're going to go out there and, and we should be out there speaking the truth in love, we also need to be consistent with that in our own homes, among our own, you know, friend groups and things like that. So that any time, if we were going to say, you know, the most out there atheist, secular, you know, person, if they were going to be a fly on the wall in our homes or among our friends, that they're not going to be scandalized by anything that we would say there that would contradict the message that we're trying to bring to the world of this hope that you, that there's something better 
that there's more than this dis- disagreement and hatred and, and argument and disrespect and all these things that we see going on that it's not that we have to settle for that, you know, but it's so easy to get frustrated and so easy to get discouraged and just want to throw your hands up and be like, it really is. And I, I want to make a distinction for a couple of things, Megan, before we start to wrap up the show. Um, I was this. I was just recently very frustrated with exactly this topic. Um, a, a person was having a, a great effect um, in a negative way on a person that I love because of their politics, let's say. And it was really hurtful to me. And I was so sad. And I, I wanted to do something to make things right, you know. Um, but the Lord really convicted me, like, Pam, in these day and times, what I'm calling you to is right in front of you, your family, the people I put in your path. That person that was being talked about that's very vocal in the public square is not in my life on a regular basis. And so it really helped me hone things down in perspective. And he's saying, Take care of what's right in front of you. Love well those people that you come in contact with on a daily basis because God is a good God of providence and those are the people that he wants me to influence, right? So he wanted me to influence the young lady that was brokenhearted about this um, person that she really admires having such different opinion, right? So I was able to speak some truth to her and in my opinion. And, and there's another thing I really want to, to kind of leave um, our listeners, our friends that are joining us in these podcasts. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I really get this really clear distinction when we're trying to navigate the waters of the current times that we're living in. I want to say and remind our listeners that if we're trying to find God in these things, Let's look to where is the beauty, beautiful, good, lovely, excellent. That fruit is of God. Is it lovely? Is it beautiful? Is it worthy? Is it excellent? That's the fruit of God. The fruit that is not of God, that is from the evil one, is destructive, divisive, violent, and angry. That's really clear to me. Um, and I just really encourage our listeners to know when you, you look for something, you're trying to discern something in the public square as being uh, good, right, and beautiful, um, or of God, or right, or wrong, or that kind of thing. Look for the fruit. What is the fruit that it has borne? And I don't know, Megan, maybe I'm off, off on that. So what do you think about it? No, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, and I remember we, uh, not too long ago, it, um, in mass, we had the reading um, where, you know, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter sees him and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And so he does and he, he walks on the water. And, and then in that in the gospel, it says, and then Peter noticed the wind and he became fearful and he began to sink and I think in our culture right now, um, a lot of what prevents us from being bold for the Lord in the public square is this fear. But what we're, what happens is, is that 
it's us taking our eyes off the Lord, right? It's seeing the wind and, and the waves and the chaos and, and all of that. And if we turn our eyes to that and if we focus on that, then we're taking our eyes off Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, and we're going to sink. We're not going to be successful in our goal to walk on water, right? To do the hard thing, to do the thing that's seemingly impossible, which is to shine a light in this dark age. So the good, the true, the beautiful, this is keeping your eyes on Christ, right? This Keep your eyes on him. Let his image, his face be in ever before us. And if we're walking towards him, if we're gazing at him, he'll, he's promised he'll give us the words when, when, when it's required. So if we do that, then we'll have the conviction, we'll have the courage, and the winds can blow and the, and the waves can surge all around us, but we'll stay on top of the water because it's his grace, his power that makes us capable of doing it. And I think that's maybe something that we haven't spoken about enough in this discussion of moral conviction and speaking truth. Sometimes we get too caught up in the idea that it's our work. It's something yes, that we exactly. must do, mm-hmm. that we have to have the all the, you know, strength and the white knuckling, the white knuckling, right? But no, these are things God wants to do through us. He's called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be witnesses to the world. And if he is calling us to do it in a particular instance, in a particular setting, whether it's in the public square or with a person, you know, personal relationship, if it's truly him calling us to do it, he'll give us the grace at the time, right at the time it's necessary. We just need to be disposed towards receiving that grace and have our hearts open um, to hear the call. Right. Being docile to the spirit. So important. So the more we can get ourselves tuned in to his voice, uh, the more successful we'll be in this goal, this endeavor to be one who has moral conviction, who speaks the truth in a, in a, in a dark age. So maybe, you know, for the last few minutes, we could just talk a little bit about how we could pray in such a way that we could ask for the grace to grow in this area. Right. Well, it comes to mind for me personally, since this is a topic I've prayed with on and off quite a lot um, about having the courage, it takes me back to the word of love and again, conviction. And the love truly is of Christ because God is love. And so if I believe, as I say I do, if I'm living my convictions of my Christian faith, that love is supplied to me from Christ and there is my strength and I can endure my uncomfortableness that I don't like very much at all because of my sensuality, but I can endure that uncomfortableness of making someone else uncomfortable for Jesus. I can do that for him, but it's a matter of, again, the right perspective that Mary's always wanting to give us. What is the right perspective in a certain situation? What we do, we do out of love, for Christ and love of souls. Because at the end of the day, isn't that our baptismal call is to try and bring a lot of people with us to heaven so we can all be together with him in heaven? Absolutely. For sure. And that conviction of our Catholic faith, our conviction 
in the tenants that are so good and right and just and beautiful that we live them in the public square, but again, must live them in the home, must live them in the private life that you have um, to be true, good, honest, and beautiful. But yes, the prayer is so important. I love the prayer of the Holy Face. We talked about that in a previous episode. So praying with the Holy Face, you know, spending time in adoration, taking part in the sacrament of reconciliation, getting to daily mass, and especially Sundays, if you're able in your area. Absolutely. Like the sacraments of the church are what are termed the ordinary means of grace, which means you don't have to guess if you're going to get grace from this experience. It's there. It's there for the taking. Like all you have to do is show up and desire it and he will pour grace into you. So absolutely take advantage of the sacraments to the greatest extent that you can. I would say also that I think a really profound prayer during that this time is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, really ask the Lord, increase my conviction in these areas, these truths that have been revealed um, through scripture, through the teaching magisterium of the church. Increase my conviction that they are indeed true and that they are your will because, and help me to love your will. Meditate on Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is actually the longest psalm. It's quite long, but the entire thing is a meditation on loving God's will, Mm. loving his law, that it is just like, you know, honey to you in your mouth. The the idea I meditate on my, on your law, Lord, all, all day and all night. I love your law above all things. Like really spend some time with that and Ask the Lord for the grace to fall in love with his law. Because what he says is, if you love me, you will do what I command. And that means loving Christ is inextricable from loving his law. And when we love his law, we want to speak the truth about his law to a world that is lost and separated from him. Which is where true freedom is found. Absolutely. True freedom, my brothers and sisters, that was such a hard concept for me to understand in my Christian journey. But when I understood that living within God's laws was true freedom. For sure. And then one last thing I would also like to say about asking for the Lord um, grace in prayer really ask for the grace to see people instead of issues, to stop arguing about a concept and start loving a person. Amen. You know, and when we do that, when we take it out of the theoretical and bring it into the personal, we are able to speak with love in a way that we never would be able to if it's just about arguing ideas. Right. And Megan, what I'm really hearing you say, which I think is so utterly important all the days of our life, is recognizing the human dignity in the other and that Christ, whether crucified or fully alive in the person, is there. And so when you see that person, you see their human dignity, you know our Savior died for that soul as well, whether they do or not. And you see the goodness in them that is Christ crucified. Yeah. And always remember that in anything that, you know, for us is sinful that we recognize is against God's will. Every individual who seeks something that is sinful is actually seeking some good at the root of it. 
They just might not know what the true good that they're really looking for is. So if we can remember and ask ourselves, okay, for this person who disagrees with me or this political party that disagrees with me or or whatever group that you want to say, you say, okay, I see what they believe or what they're doing is truly sinful, but let's ask ourselves, but what is the good they're really seeking? What is the emptiness they're truly trying to fill that they're looking elsewhere? And then maybe I can speak to that. Instead of saying, you know, you awful sinner for this, that, or the other, say, I see that you are desiring this good. Let me talk about a way that maybe might be more fruitful for you to find it. Because we are supposed to help the Lord find the lost. We are supposed to help him seek. And um, we're only going to do that if we're really seeking hearts and souls absolutely and not just seeking to be right exactly we want to go in and capture the hearts always find common ground which is our humanity to start with and just love in general everyone needs to be loved more tenderly and more deeply that is part of the human condition that's a good place to start and a good place to end that's right i think it's a good time to wrap up this program so thank you all for listening Uh, we're so glad that you uh, joined us and Hope that you will uh, tune in again next time. Until then, God bless. God bless.